My name is Madison Guerin, and this podcast is meant to educate people about the prison abolition movement, and it also reflects my own opinions on the prison industrial complex. To help me describe and explain all of the complexities of this movement, I will be playing sound bites of Dr. Liat Ben Moshi, a renowned activist and professor, and Angela Davis, a civil rights activist and educator. Prison abolition is a call to action to completely flip the incarceration system and the society of punishment in the United States. In order to comprehensively organize this podcast, I'm going to separate it into three sections. Abolitionism, considering the opposition, and making it happen. As an introduction to prison abolition, we're now going to listen to Dr. Ben Moshe's speech on the disabling qualities of prisons and the intersection of disability with the prison abolition movement. Now, let's begin. So, um, people with disabilities are, are obviously very overrepresented in every aspect of criminalization and imprisonment. Um, I mean, incarceration itself doesn't really uh, target or affect people equally. The majority of prisoners are poor, people of color. Poverty is known to cause a variety of impairments and of disabling conditions. And if you don't you know, want to think too far, just think about Flint, for example. Um, so that disability in prison or jail is more the ex- um, seems more the rule than the exception. Um, more than half of all prison and jail inmates uh, were reported, and this is by the Bureau of Justice Statistics, who underreports everything. More than half have been reported as uh, "quote unquote" mentally ill. Uh, in addition, the prison environment itself is very disabling. So even if you enter the prison without any kind of diagnosis of disability, you are likely to uh, exit prison with the diagnosis. Dr. Liat Ben Moshi has established that. Prisons as a punitive system is extremely debilitating to people who identify as disabled before entering the prison industrial complex and after. Now, let's begin the first section of our podcast, Abolitionism. Now, let's start with the concept of abolitionism. There are three main pillars, moratorium, decarceration, and excarceration. Moratorium is, simply put, to stop building more prisons in our country. And it's the beginning of prison abolition. Decarceration is the process of evaluating incarcerated prison sentences and trying to reduce the sentences of as many people as possible who aren't a danger to society. There is a huge problem in our country right now with mass incarceration and reducing the amount of prisoners is necessary um, in prison abolition. The last step to prison abolition, and the most important one, in my opinion, is excarceration. This is a complete and utter reform of the incarceral system and our society. It includes adequately funding mental health treatment, providing housing for those in need, and offering adequate rehabilitation services for people with substance dependences. These are all critical factors. As author Alex Vitale says, housing first initiatives for homeless people, that is reform. By diverting funds from creating prisons and incarcerating more and more and more people, our government can use those funds in communities that need them. They can go to people in need and people who are being sent on the prison pipeline, which means donating funds to education, decriminalizing mental health episodes and homelessness and drug users, 
It is a comprehensive change to our system. Now, let's move on to our next section, considering the opposition. The three main points of the opposition to prison abolition is the concept of letting murderers run rampant in the streets, an actual quote from Fox News, prisons are bad and punitive to deter people from wanting to go to prison, and the idea that prisons are becoming the new mental asylums. I have watched and read many criticisms of the prison abolition movement, and the main lesson I learned by considering both sides of the argument is that the opposition has not considered that prisons do more harm than good. The idea that prison abolition would lead to chaos and destruction of society isn't true. Prison abolition is not a scream for eradicating prisons completely and letting murderers run free. It is a call to action, like other so-called radical ideas like mental care for all, the Green New Deal, and defund the police. Abolitionism means different things to different people, and there's always going to be a role for prisons because criminals aren't going to stop existing. However, prison abolition is a means to decrease mass incarceration in the United States. The money existing in the budget for the correction system can be diverted to the public education system, subsidized housing and health care, and community care organizations. We can build up our education system by paying teachers adequate wages and treat mental health issues with the care, concern, and support that they deserve. Serial killers and people who are a danger to society will stay in sites of our incarceration, but more money will go to changing our system to address the pipeline to prison, which is caused by poverty, addiction, homelessness, and mental illness. The idea that prison being punitive is necessary firstly assumes the worst about human nature, I think, and it doesn't hit the root of the problems. The prison and criminal system was built on the remains of slavery. The roots of crime originate in segregation because it isolated minorities in poorer neighborhoods. These neighborhoods caused by white flight created food deserts, less access to health care, and poor public education, which all contribute to the real main issue of poverty. The prison system overwhelmingly only represents minorities and people with disabilities. We have to admit that our existing system does not work. The reason why abolitionists decree reform as insufficient and unsupportable is that it doesn't hit the issue of poverty. Now we're going to hear Angela Davis talk a little bit about how prison reform is insufficient and prison abolition is the most beneficial way to end mass incarceration in our country. This is also a problematic uh, moment. Uh, And those of us who identify as prison abolitionists, as opposed to prison reformers, uh, make the point uh, that oftentimes reforms uh, uh, create situations where um, mass incarceration becomes even more entrenched. Uh, And so therefore, we have to uh, think about what in the long run will um, produce decarceration, uh, fewer people behind bars, and hopefully, eventually, in, in the future, 
the possibility of imagining a landscape without prisons where other means are used to address issues of harm, where social problems uh, such as illiteracy and poverty do not lead uh, uh, vast numbers of people uh, along a trajectory that leads to prison. There are two ideas right now about switching the prison punitive system to a more rehabilitative one, and that is through restorative justice and transformative justice. Restorative justice wants prisoners to fully account for their behavior in dialogue with the individual and communities that are affected by their actions. They should work with those parties to develop actions to repair the damage they have done. This process is restorative because the goal is to restore the victim, their community, and the offender to how they were before the transgression occurred. The benefit of the restorative model is that it takes into account not just the singular event, but the structural problems surrounding and leading up to the offense. Now, with transformative justice, this uh, form is asking the offender what in their life has led them to commit the act, and then asking society, what can we do together to change these conditions? Both of these forms of justice allow our system to evolve into a more productive society. It means that prisoners have the ability to be restored to their community, and we also identify different ways to change our communities to make sure that these crimes don't continue to happen. The last consideration of the opposition is that prisons are becoming the new asylums. And as we've heard from Dr. Liat Ben-Moshi, prisons can't be the new asylums, number one, because the movement of deinstitutionalization that occurred in the 1970s and 80s does not mean that we should backtrack into that. Prisons do not offer simple support and care for their prisoners, which means they absolutely cannot be centers of mental health rehabilitation because they can't offer that care. In prison in general, they don't have access to medications that they were prescribed outside. They must wait weeks to see doctors and are treated as inconsequential and indifferently by psychiatrists in prison. Their needs are not being met, which is why we cannot call prisons new asylums. Prisons cannot be both rehabilitative and punitive. They cannot be both. Prisons as the new asylums is also based in incarceral ableism, which means that since about 50 to 70% of prisoners in our system identify as being disabled, there's idea, well, why don't we create new prisons for people with disabilities? However, this is simply separ- a distinct part of segregation and separating people with disabilities and an other group of minorities into different institutions away. And that doesn't solve the problem of mass incarceration and just increases the amount of places where our government and our criminal system can send people. Dr. Liat Ben-Moshi also offers her own opinion on incarceral ableism, and let's listen to that now. The thing that people are pushing for, including in LA, 
is uh, new jail facilities that will be more responsive to mental health needs. And for abolitionists, I mean, this is a really um, sore spot because we want to abolish, not build new. And so uh, I call it carceral ableism because I do think it actually adds to the oppression of people with disabilities. It doesn't decrease the oppression because we know once these uh, facilities will be built, even if they're not called jail, they'll be called treatment centers or what have you. There cannot be treatment that's coerced. There cannot be treatment that's criminalized. It cannot be treatment that's racist and so on and so on. The opposition to the prison abolition movement misconstrues the basis of this social movement. They believe that by abolishing prisons, more criminals will be let loose, crime rates will go up, and that the prisons we have now should be used as mental health facilities. However, the prison abolition movement is a movement to erase, backtrack, and abolish a system of systematic oppression. The amount of people with disabilities and minorities in prison far outweighs the misconstruement that serial killers will be let loose by stopping the building of prisons, by reducing sentences, and completely reforming the criminal justice system. I wouldn't be surprised if people who are listening to this right now would call me crazy, unrealistic, idealistic, or downright insane. And I understand them. As I kept reading about prison abolition, I was dumbfounded at how all of this could possibly happen. I kept asking how, and it can be so hard to fathom so much change. So I'm going to dedicate this section of the podcast to making it happen. Let's hear again from Angela Davis on the question of making it happen. Yeah, so how the, the question is, how do we respond to the needs of those who are inside and at the same time begin a process of decarceration that will uh, uh, allow us to uh, end this reliance on imprisonment as a, as a default method of addressing, uh, 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 not addressing really a major social problem? The main point of prison abolition is addressing community issues, which is understanding why people turn to the police and breaking the cycle of violence and imprisonment of people with disabilities and minorities. By combining the ideals of defund the police and prison abolition, one can see how the diversion of funds and the decriminalization of poverty and homelessness can change our society dramatically. We can create an integrated police force that can control violence and disorder while also being understanding and supportive and educated on the issues of mental illness, disability, and de-escalation. It's also necessary to include funding for the education on the systemic oppression and racism of the police system, and we can begin to fundamentally change the United States. A part of prison abolition is increasing the network of resources, building a new political narrative, and abolitionists are trying to change our society to show that locking American citizens in cages in prison shouldn't be a part of who we are as Americans. And one of the strongest calls to action that Dr. 
Liad Ben Moshi can say is that we need to band together to support prison abolition, which means so much more than just those two words. Now I'd like to talk about the First Step Act, which is a co- which was co-sponsored by Democrat Hakeem Jeffries and Republican Doug Collins. It passed in the House overwhelmingly last month, and this act makes it illegal to shackle pregnant prisoners. It releases more infirmed and elderly prisoners, places inmates in facilities closer to their families, and increases the number of days an inmate can spend in a halfway house or in home confinement. I think people will be very surprised to hear me commend or even say a nice word of the Trump administration, and I'm surprised to hear myself say these things. But the First Step Act is the first step to prison abolition because it is increasingly hard in our very, very partisan government to pass a legislative bill that would include all of the prison abolition tenets. Now, Van Jones, a CNN commentator and host, was heavily criticized for his support of the First Step Act. And his quote from an article that I read um, perfectly states how I feel about the First Step Act. You cannot expect to get a camel through the keyhole of the house. It is very difficult to bridge the gap between Republicans and Democrats. And I think in the name of this act, the first step, it should be a triumph for the prison abolition movement. And that during the Biden administration, we can keep pushing for more legislative action to stop building prisons and to increase funding for housing and food shelters and our education system. I'd like to release my own call of action now. In Kansas City, The Leavenworth Prison has just received $350 million to build a new prison. And after reading all of these texts about prison abolition, this very hits very close to home. It would allow the Midwest to incarcerate more and more and more people. And this is something that we need to fight. Many or even some will argue against me saying this will offer jobs, at least in the short run, to people who will build the prison. But It's at the cost of increasing the risk of minorities and people with disabilities being sent to prison and incarcerated for much of their lives. So this part of the podcast is a call to action for people in Kansas City who support the prison abolition movement and want to try to stop the building of Leavenworth Prison and to have this money reallocated to our Kansas City and greater Midwest societies that have always been heavily segregated and overwhelmingly anti-Black. We need this $350 million to go somewhere else besides building Leavenworth Prison.
Thank you for listening, and now I'd like to thank my teachers, Professor Libby Rifkin and Madeline Gibbons-Shapiro, for helping make this podcast a reality.